Look at my butt. Show number 269 of Look at His Butt, LT and JK Talk Trek. Listeners, oh, our faithful, faithful listeners. You have no idea. You have no idea. <laughs> Neither snow, nor sleet, nor dark of night, and fuck it upness of computers <laughs> shall prevent us from delivering the butt news. It happens eventually, but it does happen. This is the important <laughs> thing. Oh, man. We, just so that you guys know, uh, we recorded an entire show, and then technology betrayed us, and... It was unrecoverable, unfortunately. Yep, it ate it. <sighs> yeah, but here we are. We're back again. So we have some new, new things to talk about and yes. then uh, some very interesting stuff in the second half of the show. So please stick around for that. Yes, and but don't skip ahead. Don't skip ahead now because you <laughs> want to hear the stuff first and then the stuff second. Right. So um, let's talk about what's on everybody's mind these days, which is the Picard show, the variety show that we keep talking about. Yes. Um, but first, before that, there was the last, <laughs> but that was before three months later. But wait, um, there's more. There was the last short track of this particular batch, which was called Children of Mars, which we both watched somewhat puzzled until it was over. And then we went, oh, that was a commercial for the Picard show. And yes. then we understood what the, the purpose of it was. So it was kind of weird. And I think um, we discussed before that this crop of short tracks was not nearly as good as the first batch that they'd done the year before, and that disappoints me. Mm -hmm. um, they have such potential, right? Right. Because of the, the format and the fact that they can use seemingly any kind of media to do it. It can be cartoons, and it can be real people, and it can be set anywhere with any people. And the first batch was just so good. And this batch was like, meh. You know, the the one, um, Ephraim and Dot was the best one, and the other ones were mm -hmm. like, okay, but they didn't jazz me, and, and I am disappointed. I hope they do better. Um, I would like to see them in the next season kind of open the short treks up to other people who, who have worked with short form. Like, wouldn't you adore yeah. to see an episode done by the South Park guys? Oh, with, yeah. With like little cardboard cutouts, you know how they do those, and. It's yeah. just, you know, so cheap. And they slam those out in a week, the whole thing. Totally. They they should, you know, it's such a, a, a form that they could go crazy with. Like you're saying, it could be flash animation. It could be cut. It could be anything. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to have a huge budget. And there are so many people who are so skilled in the short form yes. that they could just open it to like everyone, basically. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I agree. That's an excellent idea. They should be paying us for that idea. Yes. And they should absolutely be taking that advice on board. It would make them much better. Well, you know what else they could do? They could have a contest, open it to the fans. <gasps> yes. Where you send them like three minutes of something and your idea. Mm -hmm. And if you're the winner, you get to, they will produce that. You get to do it. Yeah, that that would be better. I mean, they, yes, they just need to, I think they need to think outside the box. I hate that phrase, but in this case, <laughs> it's true. They they just need to expand it and, and do more. Like, I'm, I'm glad they went with animation. That was a good choice. Mm -hmm. And the one turned out really good and the others were like, eh, it's okay. Mm -hmm. But given that it's Star Trek, it's it could be anything, right? It could, yep. It could just be anything. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think they should start looking outside a little bit more and opening it to more people, and they'll get more and different and really engaging ideas, more than they've done this time around. I agree. 
Okay. So that led into the Picard show. So you and I have both watched episodes one and two. And I think on the whole, I liked it more than you did. Yes, and you that, did. <laughs> that's fine. That will not come between us. I oh, it never, will not never. fracture our friendship. Um, the things I liked about it were that it showed Picard as an old dude which I thought was good. I mm-hmm. was really afraid they were going to try to turn him back into an action hero mm. and he's going to be jumping over fences and punching people and all that. And there was a very explicit call to that when he's trying to run up some stairs and he's like, oh, 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 I can't go any further because I'm old now. So I was like, okay, good. I like that. Right. Um, and I like that they're incorporating some parts of Trek and there's new stuff that's happening. Not so, you know, okay, they had to tie it into the movie, I guess, with the whole Romulan son going Nova, but whatever. Let's hope they don't tie it in too closely. Uh, really? But I, I'm interested. I'm curious to see how it goes. I thought Patrick Stewart was good. I like the other actors. I wish there was a little more explanation for some of the stuff that's happening. Like, who are those Romulans who are taking care of him? I don't know. I know. Tell and me, the please. whole idea of, I thought they were servants. You had a different take on it, but I was going really sentient sentient beings as servants or or even caretakers in what are we in now the 24th century yeah it's weird so i i still think that they're like guards at some level Mm -hmm. that they're not just there to look after him in the very you know sam gamgee sense but in the like we have to protect him from people trying to kill him sense Mm -hmm. or or keep him from getting into trouble or something like there's something underlying that so that's We'll see. We'll see if that actually happens. They haven't given us clues on it or not. Um, I I was happy about the dog, even though the dog is named number one. I really hope <laughs> it turns out that the dog is either a hologram or a robot. Robot is my pick. I hope it's a robot dog. I think it's a dog. I think it's a I want real it. dog. And okay. <laughs> it, it should be a robot dog. And then it could shoot lasers out its eyes or something. And it would be really useful. Dogs are really useful without lasers. Yeah. Lasers on a dog are gilding the lily. Oh, all right. I still <laughs> want it to be a robot. That'd be good. <laughs> That's just me. I like robot dogs. I, like I know. Canine. I know. <sighs> well, I have to um, to say something fairly blunt. Um, <laughs> I watched episode two, three, no more than four days ago. And as I was getting all set up, I was going, what happened in that? I don't even really Uh remember it. That's how not interested I am in this, Mm -hmm. which kind of surprised me. But then I thought, you know, I gave up on Enterprise after episode one because I was going, that's an hour out of my life. I've given Picard two hours and I don't (laughs) give a shit what happens. And I don't want to have to try to juggle in my rapidly shrinking or... (laughs) deteriorating brain two different star treks that are you know long line or long mm-hmm. arc or whatever because yeah i know yeah. i'm gonna screw them up you are gonna have to be the picard person like okay. i was the boston legal person uh-huh and That's if there fine. was something really spectacular i'd tell you you gotta watch that much but mm-hmm. um i don't think i'm gonna stick with picard okay i, I might spare one more hour but I, I'm just going, and, you know, I'm with you. I'm glad that, you know, they didn't try to make him, him an action hero. But I also think in the 24th century, whatever he is now, what is he, like 80, 75, 80? Something like that. Something yeah, like that. So. Um, is 
not going to be the same as 75, 80 years now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course, there are physical limitations. He can only do so much. But I thought, oh, my God, like in the close-ups and everything, he looks so haggard. He does. He does look very old. It's true. I know. And I thought, are they doing this with makeup so we eventually see him, like, revived and energetic by having a mission? Or is he just looking bad? I don't know. But I found that kind of distracting and sad. Mm. It is a little distracting. That's a really good point. And I, you know, I've seen pictures of him and Mm -hmm. he looks older in the show than I have seen him look in real life recently. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, maybe it is some makeup that's being applied for that effect. Right. Um, Interesting. And the other thing, I'm so sorry they're doing this so early in the show, is, oh my God, it's another conspiracy at the top level (laughs) of Starfleet and the Federation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just take everybody who's got like, I don't know, more than three stripes and throw them in the ocean. Mm -hmm. Because apparently they get up there and oh my God. Yeah, uh, that's that's a a trope that they've hit quite a few times. It's true. Yes, yes. So, Uh, so, well, we'll we'll see how it turns out. I, um, I liked seeing Data. It was nice Mm -hmm. to see him again. That was Mm -hmm. good. I liked the setup of the Romulans having a board cube, but they haven't explained any of that, so I don't know what's going to happen with that. Um, I loved the fact that at the very end of episode two, when Picard went to see his friend, uh, she apparently lives at Vasquez Rocks. Yes. So that was good. I like that. Like, okay, that's a good joke. I can I can get into it. Um, and I wanted to see what you thought about the conversation that Picard has with his doctor. So it's pretty bluntly stated that he's got some kind of dementia that's going to happen to him progressing over time and he's not going to be able to do anything anymore. And for me, that kind of called back a little bit to Boston Legal with Denny Crane's increasing mental issues. Mm -hmm. And it also seemed to me that it was a way for them to put an end to the Picard series. Like they can't do it forever because Picard in the time that is happening in the show simply will not be able to do anything anymore. So it was a, an interesting choice to to highlight that so early in the series, like, hey, guys, this isn't going to be around for 10 years, like maybe a couple of years. I don't know. They were unclear about how long it was going to take before he was not capable of doing things anymore. Um, I have a couple thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, I wasn't sure if it was a mental or a physical condition. But like I say, Mm. I wasn't following that closely because I wasn't that interested. So was it more or less explicitly stated that this is a mental condition? Well, they said it was a brain thing, that they had done some brain things. I think there was like a physical deterioration along with it, but it seemed definitely to be uh, some kind of dementia or aphasia or some something. Well, that could kind of explain why he's got these caretakers too. Could be. You know, he might be having episodes that, you know, we didn't see. But, I mean, what we're seeing, or what we have seen, is him functioning on what we consider a pretty normal level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think that's true. I was wondering if, um, after they did that scene, so looking back on episode one and the first part of episode two, like these dreams that he's been having, Mm -hmm. is that part of it? You know, is is that something that is happening to him that's allowing him to have this connection? I don't know. They haven't explained it, so I don't know. Well, and the other thing is... You know what it smacks of to me is not Boston Legal, but um, Sarek. Oh, yeah. That and what too. is it? Bendy Eye Syndrome or uh, something? Bendy Eye Syndrome, yeah. I like yeah. Bendy Eye. I'm going to call it Bendy Eye. 
Bendy, it's got two eyes. Bendy eye syndrome. And I would not be at all surprised if the fact that he and Sarah had melded minds and shared all kinds of stuff um, later factors into some of this. Yep, I agree 100%. I was thinking that myself and that that is very, very possible, but mm-hmm. they didn't say anything about it, so right. we don't know. Right. Yeah. So, um, I mean, on the whole, like I said, I'm pretty interested. It, it, I, I think it has potential to do some interesting things. I hope it doesn't turn out to be the same plot as the other uh, Starfleet corruption at the top kind of things, because that would be very boring. Mm-hmm. And I, I really am hoping that it doesn't tie too closely to the movies. Because yes. I I think that those two things should be kept separate. I, I get that there's a nod to it, but I noticed in all the discussion about, you know, the Romulan son going Nova and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, they never mentioned Spock. Like, right. It, his name didn't come up. So are we not talking about it? Do we not know that it happens? Is Certainly Spock some... no longer involved in yeah. Starfleet or Federation official matters? You know, no longer a diplomat? We don't know what yeah, it's but just... I the reason I think they can um they should stay away from those crappy movies is because I think the move is definitely towards let's forget we ever made those. Mm, possible, very possible. Huh, interesting. Well, um, we now have episodes three and four to watch, which I haven't seen yet. So I will take good notes and I will be sure to provide a good summary and highlight anything that. I think is particularly interesting. Uh, looks from the coming attractions like he gets a ship. So that's good. Yes. He'll get out into space and off of Earth. And then we'll get to see, uh, you know, fighty fighty and, and shiny ships and things like that. So that mm-hmm. should be good. And presumably he'll get to say engage once he gets on the of ship. Of course. And, and make it so. Make it so. And then everybody can roll their eyes and be like, oh, okay, God, he good. Said now it that's fun. out of the way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's probably a pool somewhere where people are betting. When you know in which episode he will first say each one of those, um, I'm sure. You know, really, if there wasn't other Star Trek available, mm-hmm. you know, like Discovery, I know is coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, I would probably watch this Picard thing the way I watched TNG. Was you know, occasionally they you know knocked it out of the ballpark, and you know there are episodes of TNG that I really like a lot and would gladly rewatch. But since you know. It's going to be a long slog or a long haul or whatever through both of those, through each of those. Yeah. Discovery and Picard. I'm going to, if I follow Picard at all, it's going to be very loose. <laughs> and whatever I imagine is going to be so exciting. <laughs> I, I also think that you have the same problem with Picard as you do with Discovery to a certain extent, which is that you can't just dip in and out of it, right? Right. Like, this is one of the reasons we love TOS so much and TNG to a certain extent, and Mm -hmm. the other ones too, is that you can. Like, you can be sitting on the couch and you put on TV and it's like, oh, it's an episode of Star Trek. It's a good show. I think I'll watch it. And you can just watch it. Right. But you can't do that with Discovery. And unless you're a super fan and you can remember all of the 17 plots... (laughs) that are happening at once in every episode of Discovery, it's really hard to go back and rewatch it unless you're doing it in order. Mm -hmm. I think for me, anyway, it would be impossible to just pick a episode from season two and sit down and watch it and understand it. Right. I get the big plot points. Sure, you get it. But like, who are these people and what are their relations to each other? Mm -hmm. And when there's a big reveal, am I going to understand why it's a big reveal? Like, I don't know, man. It was hard enough keeping track 
when we were watching it every week, I don't think I could do it again. Well, and it would be very irritating when something sort of clicks in and you go, I know this is important, but mm-hmm. do they know this already? You know, it's tough. Yeah, it's hard. And I think Picard is going to be like that. It seems mm-hmm. it seems very plot driven um, in in a, a very forward looking way, like mm-hmm. No episode is going to be self-contained. Stuff happens. You need to know what happened before, and you're going to need to keep following it to figure out how anything is going to be resolved. Like nothing is going to be resolved in any episode, I think. And you know what I'm seeing missing in the first two episodes is any little tiny bit of humor. Mm -hmm. It is so dark and dead serious. Yeah, yeah. So far, I agree. There hasn't been a lot, except at the very end, when Picard goes to see his pilot friend, and mm-hmm. he when he walks up to her, and, and she's like, oh, it's you. Get the hell out of here. And right. he says, whatever he says, I can't even remember what it was, but it was something like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, we need to take down Starfleet or whatever. And then she's like, oh, okay, fine. Yeah, you I know, mean. <laughs> that, that was good. That was right. a well-played moment, and he was very good. And yeah, but I agree. Maybe they're saving that for when uh, he has a crew and they're yeah. getting to know each other. There could be stuff like that. But, you know, that's something that I loved about TOS mm-hmm. was, uh, you know, that that it was playing on both levels. And sometimes it leaned farther one way and another. But, you know, we shall see. Or you shall yes. see. I will see. <laughs> and you shall tell me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I enjoyed the little trip back to um, Starfleet back to the academy and mm-hmm. back to the headquarters. It was nice to see that again. You oh, know, yeah. I always appreciate it. And seeing the Enterprise, hologram Enterprise up there yep. near the ceiling, that was cool. I like that. Um, I, I like it when they can tie things back to the canon that we really love, mm-hmm. like the things that have established it. And you're right, You know, thinking about the plot with the corruption at the high levels, it's like, Ah, oh, you know, do we have to go through this again? Is it always true that the power is going to corrupt those people at the top? Yeah. And and I'm unsure about the Romulan, how we're supposed to think about the Romulans. Okay. So they're clearly being positioned as the bad guys, right? Well, yeah. And, you know, the Romulans were in what, two episodes of TOS? Uh, there was the yeah. Romulan commander. Yep, and there was balance of terror. Right, but um, we know so little about them, and maybe that's part of the the interest or the intrigue. So it's it, now it's uh, okay. We're friends with the Klingons, you know. Worf was on the Enterprise, and everything. So now the new enemy is the Romulans, and I do respect them for reusing Romulans instead of just inventing some random new species. Yeah, but it's like okay, and what? What differentiates them from Vulcans? Because every time one shows up, I think they're Vulcans. Yeah, me too. It's very hard. <laughs> um, I So in, in episode one, um, the data dump, the um, exposition police was the interviewer lady yes. who was talking to Picard. In episode two, it was the, the Romulan woman who takes care of Picard who got to be the exposition right, police when right. she gave that long thing about the Tal Shiar and oh, I know. meeting androids and all the rest of it. I, and I was like, oh, God, can't there be another way to get this information across? And there's a secret organization either yes. behind or within the Tal Shiar. And I'm going, right. oh, my. Yeah, it's getting complicated. Uh, so yeah. there, there was that aspect to it also. Um, I am... So, right. So the Romulans are supposed to be the bad guys, but also 
the androids, who are now not called androids anymore, they're called synthetics, are also the bad guys? Or they're bad in a different way? And the Borg are still the bad guys. So are they all teaming up? Like, what? what is going on? I don't get it. Well, and like we talked about in the uh, recording that got eaten, this whole idea of that there's these synthetics and they don't know they're synthetics. Yeah. That was like one of the most intriguing and driving themes of Battlestar Galactica. Mm-hmm. And we were, I don't know how many seasons in before they, like one by one, started revealing who it was. So they're not necessarily bad guys. It's just that the Federation fears them. Yeah. And that yeah. makes them bad guys. Mm. Uh, the the idea of the android that doesn't know it's an android also is is part of Blade Runner too. Okay. Like if they're drawing from yeah. something, that that is a, a great example of it. Um, so I I I don't know. It's these things are all up in the air. Like they they have started this series, first two episodes that we've seen, and they've tossed about six balls up in the air. Right. And I'm not sure how this juggling act is going to handle all that. I assume that they have some kind of plan for how things are going to go but I guess we'll find out well let's let's hope and that you know that that's part of it I mean in some ways I thought the first episode was moving very slowly because it was doing so Mm -hmm. much setup yeah but it's also that they have dumped too much information on us (laughs) in two hours I think because we've also got this thing of haven't you ever wondered why there are no synthetics in in Romulan culture Mm -hmm. ever you know and it's like oh my God, what is going, you know, there's like too many plots for this early. Yeah. So is the rest of it just spinning those plots out? Could they have held something back to reveal later or, I mean, yep. I don't know. That's exactly what I mean. It's it's too much stuff that's that's all happening at once. So um, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Maybe once they get out into space, it'll be less dense and it'll be a little more linear. We'll find out. Kind of like space is less dense. <laughs> So speaking of Star Trek, which is a good show, and I really like it, um, <laughs> I, I was flipping around the other night, and Star Trek was on, so I started watching it because that's what I do. It was the Space Hippies episode, which we oh. all agree is a terrible episode. But I did want to say that the one good thing about that episode um, is that it has at its core a really important point, which unfortunately gets lost in all the ridiculousness that they put mm-hmm. around it which is that you really shouldn't follow cult leaders. Yes. <laughs> and, um, they, you know, that becomes really apparent at the end. But I liked the parts of that episode where they show you how Dr. Severin is manipulating the followers, um, you know, as he's saying different things to different people and lying to some people and telling the truth to the other. And he's dividing them, right? He's sort mm-hmm. of pitting them against each other. And only he knows the complete and whole truth of what it is, which is how abusive, manipulative people are, you know, they, right. they triangulate, they divide and conquer. And that could have been such a better episode if they hadn't decided that the, that the cult leader needed to be a hippie dude. Yeah. Imagine how good it would have been if it had been just more normalized with more normal people. Or if he had been another charismatic figure like Khan was without being hippies. Yeah, because the whole way they were, you know, trying to address and at the same time trash hippie culture and, you know, that, ugh. 
Yeah, and then to, to, you know, sort of set it up on the Enterprise where Spock was the cool with it one and Kirk was the, the straight arrow, let's make fun of him, guys. Like, oh, please, oh, I that know. doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It was just, nope. it was badly done. But, you know, it it had the, the kernel of a really good idea. And the fact that he himself is so bought into his delusion that he basically commits suicide at the end because mm-hmm. he's so like committed to it was really good like that was the way it should have ended because that's yep. what happens i mean it's it's like a jim jones situation mm-hmm. um so he didn't care about them at all that was very apparent by the end and i i was like this that that was good that was some good script writing and it's too bad that they ruined it with all the hippie stuff you know it'd be interesting to know how that episode in its concept and in the stages of writing developed it's like, what came first? The hippie aspect, we got to do something with hippies, or let's do a cult leader. Yeah. You know, you know I'll have to look at the the, the, um, the Voyages book, because mm-hmm. they have a pretty good breakdown of it, and I don't remember reading what the history on that one was, but I'm going to look it up. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be good. So uh, the only other thing that we had that was news, which we just wanted to follow up on, was that, um, hey, Bill's divorce went through, so good for him uh i guess i guess you know there were some really ridiculous headlines when everything was finalized saying like shatner's divorce is final he gets to keep his money as if that was ever in question it was not in question it was part of their prenuptial agreement Mm -hmm. and it seems like everything got done very quickly i think it was uh, like a month and a half from when the divorce papers were filed to when it was finalized, mm-hmm. which which shows that on both sides, they had done quite a lot of prep work. And right. there was, you know, very little mediation or negotiation that had to go on. Like they did the papers, both of them went, yep, this is the way we wanted to, judge stamped it, it was done. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's good. I'm, I'm sure it's, you know, it wasn't pleasant. And now that part of it is done at least, and maybe Bill can move on to do some other things. I know he's doing a pretty extensive tour with the Wrath of Khan showings right now. Yes, yes, he was just in Tulsa. Oh, okay. Yes. Uh, and he's got some cons lined up, so he's mm-hmm. a busy guy. And I think, didn't you mention that he's doing Ticonderoga again later this in year? In June. I, I think it's like end of May or beginning of June. But I got to tell you, I saw some pictures of him at his Tulsa thing, which was just recent. And he is looking pretty heavy again. So, Bill, take care of yourself. Yeah, stress eating maybe. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. could be. All right. Yeah, listen, listen, Bill. We know what we're talking about here. (laughs) Well, well, I certainly know about stress eating because I know the German word for it. Uh Uh-huh, which is? Kummerspeck. And it literally translates to, it's not bacon eating, but it's something big. Oh stress bacon or something, but it's the fat you get from stress eating. That's mm. your Kummer speck. Oh, I think I think speck is literally the word for fat, so that could be. Okay. Yeah. Well, good. Uh, we've learned something today. Always yes. educational. <laughs> Very good. I just love that word. <laughs> it, well, of course, there's a word for it. Uh, the, the Germans, and we're lucky that one's only three syllables. <laughs> <laughs> just take two words, put them together. Look, you have a new word for it. Yay! <laughs> Uh, Okay, hey, let's take a little break, and then we're going to turn to um, the thing we never talk about, which is William Shatner, and you're (laughs) going to tell us about a book. But first, a teaser, and we will reveal the answer in the second half. Here's the teaser. 
in the episode Miri, you know, there's all those those little kids. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you know, two of Bill's daughters are in there, and uh, most of the kids, or maybe all of them, are also children of other actors or people, you know, who worked on the show and everything. Mm-hmm. The one little boy, really cute. He's black. Mm-hmm. You will not believe who he grew up to be. Oh, okay. I, I don't know this piece of information, and I cannot wait to find out. Okay, so we will be back after our short break. Okay. Space, a final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Listeners, we would love to hear from you. Send us email at lookathisbutt at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook and leave us a comment. Tell us your Trek news. We now bring you back to an amazing thing, which is going to be this book about William Shatner, about which we've talked before. And yes. now we're going to find out. But first. But first. Before three months later. Before three months later. Uh, I am part of a Facebook group that's called uh, the TOS Vault. And it's really interesting. And there's a lot of pictures that get posted there. If you're interested, um, you should go join it. It's really good. Oh, okay. And so... Um, one of the people who's there, his name is Will Valentino. He's the admin. He knows Pamela Ferdin, who was in um, And the Children Shall Lead. She's on Facebook, too. She was on every single day. Yep, yep. So he's been in contact with her, and she has been – she doesn't go to cons and things like that. She's just mm-hmm. not really into that part of her career anymore. Like, she's moved on after she was done being a child actor. She didn't really pursue acting. But – she wanted to contribute some uh, anecdotes about what it was like to make that. And so I just wanted to read this because I thought it was so good. Of course, Bill is involved. Of course. Um, when she appeared in the TOS episode and the children shall lead, she received personally signed NBC cast cards from Nimoy and Shatner. So they're reproduced here and they're just the standard publicity photos that were that they signed to mm-hmm. her and they're very nice. She remembers Leonard Nimoy as, quote, funny in a droll kind of way. He would say something, walk away, and then I would realize, hey, that was funny. <laughs> okay. I think he got a kick out of that. William Shatner was actually her first crush. <gasps> I love it. She received a marriage proposal from him, along with an engagement ring made out of a cigar band. Oh, God. Can you imagine? Oh, no. That is so sweet. How old was she? She was like 10 years old or something. Yeah. Oh, my God. And also, she remembers that his... Bill's pet Doberman chased her around the bridge set when she wasn't running after the captain of the Enterprise. <laughs> so I think we've mentioned that before that Bill had his dogs there oh, like yeah. in his dressing room. And so apparently, occasionally they got out and chased people around the set. <laughs> so oh, funny. Oh, oh that is so sweet. Bill. <laughs> just a, a cigar band engagement ring is just sort of the sweetest thing. 
I know. Oh, I oh. love that. Yeah. So I'd never heard that story before. And I, I never just thought had you either. And everybody else would appreciate it. So there you go. Well, that's great. All right. So back to you. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to preempt you there. Okay. So I have the book and it is called yes. Shatner. <laughs> Good title. I yeah. like it. <laughs> it is by Michael Seth Starr. Yes. It is published by Applause. Applause. And um, what I, I've done, I am about almost exactly, well, not even quite a third of the way through because, you know, Bill has had a very long and active and busy life. <laughs> So I start reading it, and on the first page, in the, the sentence you must always have in a biography, mm-hmm. this person was born on this date. Uh-huh. He calls him William Allen Shatner. <gasps> oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's so bad. Well, and as far as we know, that piece of information, which is false, he does not have a middle name, and uh-huh. he has said that many times, is found only in this one particular place on the web. Unless other people are copying it and it's proliferating. And Bill and his team of um, minions have tried many times to get that corrected on that yeah, website. That's right. I, he has talked about it on Twitter many, many, many mm-hmm. times. That, that's, that's like the tell. If yeah. you don't know what you're talking about, if you actually say he had that middle name. And Ugh. so I'm going, okay, so this is like a middle school paper where you get your information yeah. from the internet. Oh, my God. Uh, the other thing is he is um, very upfront in the, the prologue or whatever that he did not talk to Bill. Bill declined mm-hmm. to be interviewed for this. And he also told his close friends not to speak to him. So whenever a friend or family member, anybody like that is mentioned and quoted, it's from an earlier public information interview, something that's out there. And yep. here's one of my other, I don't know, it, it's kind of bugging me. There are footnotes. But uh-huh. a lot of times he'll quote somebody and there's a quote and he does not make it clear through the quote or through the footnote if it's because he talked to this person oh. or if it came out of an old issue of People magazine. Oh, oh that's a little disingenuous. <laughs> He's a sloppy biographer. Yeah. Huh. So, But anyway, um, I have tagged a number of things. Some of them are just little things that I knew we would enjoy. There are things that we either haven't heard or uh, or have heard in a different way. And he does point out that Bill tells some of these stories differently several times, uh-huh, which uh-huh, we sure. know. So, you know, that's not completely unexpected. But um, I tagged him. And so I'm just going to run, run through the things I've marked. Okay. Yes, here we go. Uh, in this first part, when he finally gets to be in Star Trek, first of all, this guy is, I'll give him this. He lists at this time, he did these three movies and guest appearances on these seven, you know, shows or whatever. And there's a lot that I hadn't heard of and that we haven't seen. Oh, oh And okay. he also seems to think you cannot find a copy of The Butler's Night Out. Oh, well, that's just plain wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so he's talking about when they, um, you know, were going to make the second pilot and they got uh, Bill to do it. And uh, this is a quote from Bob Justman. Gene was very happy that he was able to get Bill Shatner, who was highly thought of in the industry. I had worked with Bill on The Outer Limits, and he had a good reputation in the television and entertainment industries even at that time. He was someone to be reckoned with, and we certainly understood that he was a more accomplished actor than Jeff Hunter was, and he gave us more dimension. Oh, interesting. That's Mm -hmm. nice. Now, um, Bill was paid $10,000 for the pilot. And Hunter had only gotten five. <laughs> okay. So that's it for that little piece oh. of info. 
See, I'm, I'm, I'm very good about picking out the part where people say good things about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of money, $10,000 in, in 1966 money? Jeez. Well, and, you know, he did more than just show up and film it. He was in on a lot of the other, yeah. you know, planning things. But that is a lot of money. Also, he later talks about, right before Star Trek, when he couldn't, he seemed to be stuck. He could not move forward to bigger roles, better roles. And um, he could not break this limit of $1,800 per guest shot. Hmm. And it wasn't enough for House and, you know, Three Daughters and and the whole thing. So that was kind of interesting. He gets lots and lots of good reviews in his early work. Oh, um, he... (laughs) It's talking about, okay, we're filming, you know, making Star Trek. It wasn't on the air yet. And Bill did a, a lot of publicity and everything like that. He would describe Kirk as an amalgam of Alexander the Great from the failed television pilot <laughs> and Henry V, his onstage oh. alter ego from his Stratford days. Oh, I've never heard him say that. That's very interesting. No, I had never heard that one before. He I says, see that. Yes. That makes sense. He says, for me, the Kirk character was classical. He was noble. So I thought of him with the look of eagles. That look of nobility that one thinks of on a stamp, a coin, or a statue. Sure. Oh, okay. I like that. That's mm-hmm. very good. Yeah. Cool. Oh, this is really great. Talking about the competition or the competitiveness between him and Nimoy, because Nimoy mm-hmm. of getting so much extra mail and everything. Okay. Justman, again, he's quoted quite a bit of this, uh, says, uh, Shatner, always well-prepared, came in, did his job, and was likable and industrious but had a tendency. <laughs> Sorry, I just... <laughs> it sounds like a, a kindergarten report card, it right? It does! That's why I'm <laughs> laughing! It was like, and, and he took his nap exactly when he was supposed to, and he cleaned his cubby. <laughs> and But he does not play well with others. He had a tendency to ride roughshod over the lesser performers. A okay. situation that would be revisited years later when Takei, Dewan, and other cast members wrote their mem- memoirs. This is Takei. And this sounds mm-hmm. like it was something he said way back when, not, you know, in the past couple of years. Bill is a dynamic presence. He enjoys being the center of everything, and when he's on the set, he dominates. But Captain Kirk is Bill Shatner's creation. It's his metabolism. He vibrates Captain Kirk. It's Bill's unique talent, energy, and persona that made Captain Kirk the kind of character he was. He was fascinating to watch, sometimes difficult to work with. Okay. That sounds very fair and very true. Yes. When when NBC announced that it was renewing Star Trek, an NBC announcer, this went out over the air, said, Star Trek will be back in the fall, and please don't write any more letters. <laughs> Which I think is pretty cute. It is. Hey, you know, I don't know if I marked this, so it's just coming to mind now. You know, you've probably heard this, that at least in one of the episodes, during filming or prior to filming or something, Bill was stung by a bee or a wasp. Oh, yes, yes, on his eyelid, in fact. Yes, Very and painful. you know what it was? Or what episode? Uh, oh, uh, I used to know this, and I don't know it now. Well, according to this book, it was Where No Man, really? the pilot, uh, maybe. Uh, maybe, uh, I don't know. I don't know about that. Mm-hmm. I remember it being some, some other one, but maybe it is. Maybe it is that one. I don't know. Oh, okay. So here's the teaser that I gave us. Okay, about all the little yeah. kids. Okay, I included Grace Lee Whitney's son, Scott, and Gene Roddenberry's daughters, Darlene and Dawn. Oh. Phil Morris, the son of Mission Impossible star Greg uh-huh. Morris, uh-huh. appeared briefly along with his sister, Iona, or Iona, probably I. Mm-hmm. Greg went on to a busy acting career. 
He memorably played the Johnny Cochran-like lawyer, Jackie Childs, on Seinfeld. Oh, my God. Oh, he's so funny. I know. Can you believe that? Wow. Oh, that's amazing. (laughs) That's really amazing. Oh, Jackie Childs is so good. Oh, I know. such a good character. Such a great character. And I don't believe I've ever seen him in anything else. Oh, I'm. Sh- I mean, he's an actor. I'm sure he's been in things. I I don't know his name. Like I. Oh, okay. Now we're gonna have to find out. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's really amazing. Mm-hmm. Oh, the okay. World is so small. So now it gets into did Bill sleep with all the women on the set? <laughs> and uh-huh. okay, this is quote from Joan Collins, who's such a you know a reliable witness. Um, so Captain Kirk fell in love with Edith Keeler, and our love scenes were apparently quite sizzling. And the crew were taking bets, apparently, of when I would succumb, as he was quite a bit of a ladies' man. I did not. I was married at the time. I had two children, and I passed. Yeah, we believe that. I don't believe that at Mm -hmm. all. Not even a little bit, do I believe that? Nope. Okay. Okay. Then, now this is good. You'll like this. You'll like this a lot. Uh, Nancy Kovac talks about him. (gasps) Yes, Nancy Kovac, please. (laughs) Okay. So, you know, she was in Private Little War, and then after Star Trek, they went out for a while. Yes. And we've seen that picture of them out on the town or whatever. She says, it's very boring for you to hear that he's wonderful. I've heard that people say that, that on the set, he wasn't wonderful. But for me, on the set, he was a wonderful human being, highly professional and deeply kind. And I don't know how much better you can get than that. But he was all of that and wonderfully amusing. He loved laughter and humor and innuendos and all kinds of things and was very quick in his mind. It was a joy to talk to him because of that. He was always ready for something. Wow. This I find very interesting. She said, I remember he once said something to me that put everything into perspective. That in Canada, as a very young boy, I believe he had blondish hair. And we've seen photographs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he was perceived as a golden boy, a golden child. (laughs) And that clicked with me. I could see immediately how that propelled his life. And I've never forgotten that. I don't know why it's not important to anything, but I believe it's factual. Wow. I have never, ever seen her talk, uh, seen something where she talked about him. Well, this has a footnote. So let me find out where that came from. Yeah. Where is her interview? So he actually talked to somebody. Wow. Wow. Oh, that's great. Oh, how nice. How nice to hear that. Yes. Yes. Oh, oh, that's good. Um, Sorry, just to butt in to talk about Phil Morris, I've just been Googling him and looking him up on Wikipedia. He's been in loads of things, including he's been in Voyager and in Deep Space Nine, and he's had a long career on television. Um, He recently was in a a DC Comics show called Doom Patrol that I watched and loved. It's on Stars or something, and he Uh is very, very good in it. So any any DC Comics fans out there, if you haven't seen Doom Patrol, you need to see it because it's amazing. Oh, okay. And Brendan Fraser stars in it, and he's fantastic. Okay. So anyway, not not to distract from Nancy Kovac gushing over Bill. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, I... That all sounds, that sounds right. You know, I I think despite, you know, growing up, not having a lot of money and having to, you know, he's talked about that so much about um, having Mm -hmm. to work and, you know, hitchhiking and not having things. It does seem like he was the golden boy, right? Like he was, 
Yeah. Very much uh, expected to do things. And he lived up to it as much as he could, right? Getting into fights and playing yep. football and, and all of that stuff. Well, and up until a few years before Star Trek, when, you know, he was starting not to be cast, he has said he always got a role if he really mm-hmm. wanted it. You know, he was, yeah. he just did. Now, you're going to love this. This is talking about at the, the end of Star Trek during the third season. Bill refused to let his acting guard down despite the show's rating woes. Now, this quote from Star Trek director Ralph Sinensky. Bill was a different kind of actor than Leonard, a different kind of actor than DeForest. Bill was glib. Bill just did it, but he did it fine. And there were occasions, the fine scene he does in Metamorphosis, an imprint directed by Sinensky, when he's talking with that translator to the cloud, And he does a remarkably good job on that scene. When we saw the dailies the next day, Gene Kuhn, after Bill's take, said, that's why we pay him the big money. Oh, boy. That's great. I love that. that. I love that so Mm -hmm. much. And, you know, in in his early career, I mean, he got such great reviews. And, you know, people were saying he is going to be, you know, this generation's Olivier. Uh And, uh... Wow, that's awesome. Oh, boy. I, I, these are good things. I am glad that these things are in here because I have not heard these things. I know. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> we've kind of heard this, but it's fun. This was this is in the chapter called The Wilderness Ugh. Years, which most of us fans call The right. Lost Years. But anyway, he was free now to date whomever he pleased without calling undue attention to the state of his marriage or to the network paying his salary. I took affection anywhere I could find it, he said of that time. It seemed like there was always someone around who had her own needs to be fulfilled. So lust and romance and passion all began playing a more important role in my life. During much of this period, I was single, and I certainly had opportunities to be with many women. And I grasped a great (laughs) many of those opportunities. Uh, So what is that from? Is that a... Okay, that's got a footnote. And we've heard that Mm -hmm. before. It sounds like it's from one of his books. It is. It's from Up Till Now. Boy, imagine that. Imagine being like a woman in Hollywood at that time and just knowing that Shatner was out there (laughs) unattached, Mm -hmm. looking to grasp what opportunities he could. That would have been a heady time. Now listen to this. It didn't help that his television appearances were, for the most part, undistinguished and forgettable. The New York Times criticized his, quote, unenthusiastic performance opposite, quote, an overworked Elizabeth Ashley in the NBC movie The Skirts of Happy Chance. What the hell is that? I don't know. It's not footnoted or anything. (laughs) And he took a shot at NBC's cancellation of Star Trek in an interview with the New York Daily News. This is Bill talking. What would be amusing to me is if the reruns of the series, which are being slotted in Jerry Lewis's Tuesday night 7.30 time period on the network, would wind up pulling down big ratings. (laughs) Imagine how the NBC executives would feel once they've canceled the show and dismantled the sets. (laughs) Very prescient, Bill. Very, very prescient. Mm -hmm. Wow. So that's funny. That is funny. Wow. That's that's good. Okay, there's quite a bit of dishy stuff or sort of dishy stuff and something really just downright bizarre about Big Bad Mama. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Bill and Tom Skerritt, for some reason that the various people quoted in this whole section don't know or chose not to reveal, just did not get Mm, along. Okay. And uh, this guy, 
Carver, who's Carver? I think he's the director. Oh, yeah, director Steve Carver said, Bill had developed that technique, and I don't even understand this, of talking during shots. And actually, if he was off camera in some of the close-ups, he talked to the actors. So when you're rolling the camera, if he flubs a line, rather than cut the camera and do another take, he says, keep rolling. And it infuriates actors because then they have to redo everything and rekindle the whole thing. They didn't like that. And his whole approach was very irritating and fast frustrating to a lot of the actors because he would talk during the take as if the camera wasn't rolling. It created a little tension. Hmm. I mean, that's just, that's just uh, strange. And then he goes on to say, I noticed that, that there was um, tension between Tom and Bill. He thought it was part of the characterizations at first because that's what's in the script. But um, off camera, they didn't like each other. I noticed this and words were said. Oh, okay. Okay, the situation between the two actors came to a head four days later in a scene shot at a racetrack. That's when it all blew up, Carver said. That's when the physical fight (gasps) happened. Oh, my. We were in this car, and Bill was supposed to stay in the car while Tom and Angie and the girls go into the racetrack office to rob it. And Tom gets up out of the back seat. Bill is sitting in the passenger seat, and his elbow purposely hits Bill's hat and knocks his wig askew. Oh, no. While the camera is rolling. Bill jumps out of the car, tackles Tom to the ground, and they're wrestling and throwing punches, and the whole crew is in shock. And I jump in there, and I try to pull them apart. Here's these two guys just beating the hell out of each other. From then on, it was a war. Wow. They were not pulling punches as far as the dialogue was concerned, as far as their physical nature, their attitude, their body language. Everything was real. There was no love between them. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Oh, my God. Boy. Well, Tom Skerritt certainly knew how to provoke Bill. I would say that's Uh, about the worst thing that he could do. I mean, oh, wow. Okay. Here's where it all starts to get bizarre. Bill's relationship with Scarrett was awkward enough, but the atmosphere on the set of Big Bad Mama grew downright strange when it came time for Bill to shoot his sex scene Uh with Angie Dickinson. Steve Carver should be hung by the balls for that, Dickinson said nearly 45 years later. It was just the worst scene in the world from all points of view. It ruined sex for everyone, (laughs) ever. (laughs) That's a sweeping statement. (laughs) Yes, according to Carver's recollections, Bill wanted to film the scene a certain way, much to Dickinson's chagrin. He told Angie what he wanted to do, and Angie said, No way, I'm not doing that, Carver said. I remember to this day, during the scene, he would wet his fingers and run them on her shoulder or back or wherever, and she hated that. She said no, and she would try to coax him into something that was more subtle. One would call it erotic, but to me it was kinky. So in any case, the love scenes were awkward. Dickinson was topless during the bedroom scene. Bill, for reasons known only to him... (laughs) Sorry! You know, took a more modest approach. Initially, he walked onto the set wearing only his underwear, much to Dickinson's amusement. Carver told Bill that his underwear would be visible on camera and would ruin the shot and asked him to remove his skivvies. I tried to talk around it a little bit, he said. I was even embarrassed a little. I don't know how to talk to guys about being (laughs) nude. Bill said, I'll use a little tape. According to Carver, Bill disappeared into the makeup room and reappeared a few minutes later wearing thick gaffer's tape (gasps) 
over his private parts. What? He used the heavy-duty stuff, oh he said. Oh, my God. He came in with all this silver tape on him, and boy, it looked like it hurt, you know, just to put it on, let alone take it off. So Angie made another joke or said something, and he got real pissed off, and he started ripping the <gasps> tape off. I was just cringing from watching that. But then he demanded everyone leave the set, and Angie said, no, I want everybody on the set. Don't go. So we compromised, and we got most of the people off the set, and we shot the scene. I tried to make Bill feel comfortable telling him exactly how we were shooting it. We were shooting it waist up, and we weren't shooting full masters, and we were lighting it subtly. We weren't doing any pornography, although with Roger, it was shoot as many breast shots as possible. <laughs> Is there more? <laughs> Cause that's no, I'm, 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 I'm reading. That was the last time Carver worked with him, and he remembers him fondly despite all that. Wow. He said I had no problems with him. I would sit down with him over lunch and chat. He was a really good guy. The movie got terrible, uh-huh, terrible reviews. Uh-huh. Wow. Oh, and, and Big Bad Mama 2 starring Angie Dickinson. And Dickinson, oh, Dickinson, though, never worked with Bill again. I have read about him, and I watched him and everything else, she said. He is a difficult man. There's no real explanation, but he is difficult. I don't want to say he's not a pushover, because that's not what I mean, but he brings difficulty to a room. I admire him tremendously, and he's had quite a career, and he's a real icon. But I think it's the Aries in him. He's got this power that they can carry. He's not an easy fella to have fun mm. with. Huh, how interesting. I can't believe that that story hasn't been out there I before. can't believe it either. Gaffer's tape. Oh my God, how much would that have hurt? I know. Oh, oh okay. Wow, that's really very strange. <laughs> Isn't it? Oh, well, I can see how, he, you know, how he could be difficult. He certainly sounds like he was being particularly difficult on this movie. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, once you get that, that taste of how hard it can be and, and how stubborn he is, I mean, why would you want to do that again, right? <laughs> well, and I think that was sort of in the middle of the lost years. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure he was probably a bear to live with. Oh, yeah. And, you know, because of the stress. I want to read you this one more thing, and then we'll stop because we're coming up on an hour. Maybe we'll do more in the next episode. Okay, Star Trek also had Bill Shatner's unique acting style. It turns hammy, overblown, understated, combative, and sensitive. A young Jason Alexander, later to star as George Costanza in Seinfeld, considered by many to be the best sitcom in television history, cited William Shatner as the biggest influence on him as an actor. I know it sounds like a joke. I became an actor because I wanted to be William Shatner commanding the Mm -hmm. Enterprise. And before I had any training or lessons or anything, I would basically do William Shatner. I just thought if you broke sentences down, then you could play any role. It worked for many years. (laughs) I did Shakespeare as William Shatner. I once played Nathan Detroit in Guys and Dolls as William Shatner. Who knew? I thought that was great acting. (laughs) And I'm sure it was. I love that. Oh, so true. And you know, you and I, because we've we've watched so much Shatner, we can recognize not just the big things like the Shatner swallow and the pointing, but just other ways he carries himself and stuff. And I'll see something in, in a movie and I'll go, that's Shatner. Uh-huh. Like right in the middle of um, Much Ado About Nothing, 
Kenneth Branagh in one of Benedict's big speeches does a Shatner take. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, you know, I'm in the movie theater going, oh, you know, like, I've never heard this before or something. But yeah, you can pick that out. Yeah. He's so distinctive and so unique. Yep. 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 You can see it. Um, I, As you were reading that, I was thinking about an interview that I'd read with John Belushi. So they had very oh. famously done that, that Star Trek sketch. Yes. The last episode. And I remember him saying that when they wrote the sketch, everybody thought, okay, this is going to be hilarious. And then he had to play Captain Kirk. And he thought, how can I be Captain Kirk? You know, like, I'm, how can I turn this dumpy body into William Shatner? And he had to go and watch a bunch of Star Trek episodes and just thought, I just have to put myself in the mindset of being William Shatner, and then I will be mm-hmm. Captain Kirk. So it was all about getting to Kirk through being William Shatner. And once he got sort of the posture and the the delivery and everything, he sort of, he was able to transform himself into that. And I just thought, yes. you know, what a lovely story for someone who um, was a comedian and a physical comedian. So he knows how important it is to get all the physical stuff right. And how mm-hmm. once you got that right, it would allow you to, to do this, you know, in a comedy show. And that always stuck with me that it, it was an important thing to get right. And he knew how to do it through being Bill. Right. Yes. Well, I remember, too, the first time you and I saw Galaxy Quest Mm -hmm. together, um, which was the first time I had seen it, and I think you, too. Oh, yeah, in the theater, yeah. You and I were the only people who responded when um, Tim, (laughs) whatever his name is, leaned forward in the captain's chair. (laughs) And we both went, you know, I mean, everybody picks up the the shoulder roll, but you and I. (laughs) Yep, because it's just so, Bill. Oh, man. It's there. I love that. I have heard that um, Belushi was initially reluctant and worried about playing that. So thank you for telling us that. I I wish I could find that interview, but um, Mm -hmm. I I remember it. It always stuck with me from him saying that. And yep, so good. So very good. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I look forward to hearing more out of this book because it sounds like it's a real treasure trove of stuff that um, we haven't heard before. And, you know, I'm glad that even though he got Bill's name wrong, he actually did try to talk to people who we haven't really mm-hmm. heard from, like Nancy Kovac. I've never read an interview with her where she talked about her experience. I had never heard any of this Big Bad Mama stuff. No. About the fight and about the nude scene and the gaffer's tape and everything. <laughs> but I think part of it was because that's not an important movie. Maybe nobody ever went and talked, asked that director about it, yeah. and went and asked Angie about it. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Or And they just didn't want to say anything. Maybe now enough time has passed also where... They just figure, you know what, we can talk about this. It's not right. nothing we have to keep secret. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. And like I said, I am not even, oh, I am more than a third third of the way through. So more to come. Yeah. Well, you certainly have the, the uh, funnest responsibility. I'll be watching Picard <laughs> and you'll be reading this amazing book about Bill. So And tagging things all the way. Yeah, so that'll be good. <laughs> I got to tell you, though, I screamed out loud. When I read that thing about Greg Morris's son. Oh, that's amazing. That he was, you know. Jackie Child. Jackie Childs. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. That is, and you know, he grown up, he doesn't look at all like his father. When he's a little kid, the minute I read that, you know, that that was Greg Morris's son, I thought, yeah, yeah, I could see that. But as an adult, he doesn't. If you see pictures of him now, I think he mm-hmm. does more. I mean, when he was doing Jackie Child, he had mm-hmm. the hair and the glasses and the mustache and everything. I think that's it, true. It kind of obscured yeah. his actual look. But oh. wow, that's great. That's so great. 
All right. Well, I think it's time for us to wrap this up. Um, hopefully everything goes okay and we get it posted and all that. So uh, thank you listeners for being... It has been recording the whole time here. That's good. So let's hope technology is through screwing us over for a while. Yeah. So... Thank you, listeners, for being our listeners and sticking with us and for participating on the Facebook group and for tweets and for everything else that goes with it. We we are so grateful for you and we will just keep pushing along and putting out our podcast because we love doing it and we love doing it for you. <laughs> also, what do you guys think of Picard? Yeah, tell us, please. We want to know. What's your take on it? Especially, well, either way, if, if we have TNG fans out there, we'd love to know how you think this works as far as with the TNG canon, you know. Now you're jumping forward, I don't know, 40 years or something. Yep. So, yeah, we'd, we'd love to get that discussion going because yep. I didn't watch it too closely. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, one person who really, really likes Picard is my brother. <laughs> so oh, okay. we might have to have him on the show to hear his take on this because um, that could be enlightening. I, I'm, we, I haven't talked with him about it since... Uh, it was on. So I'm very curious to see what he likes about it. So maybe we'll do that. Okay. As always, listeners, thank you very much. Keep emailing us. And oh, and we have some email coming up in the next episode. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, we got we're not talking about trolls or anything. No. We heard from two separate wonderful people with a lot of great comments. Yeah. And we just don't have time in this show to share. But all we'll that. get to it. So that's a little preview for next time. So please yes. keep emailing us, leaving comments, you know, hang out on the Facebook group with us. It's always fun. And we will be back with another show in a couple of weeks. So live long and potluck. Okay. Bye. <laughs> Bye.